Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandy. We're in Romans chapter eight, and today we're gonna to talk about the power of the recreated spirit on the inside of you. Yeah, you're still stuck with the nature of the flesh, but you have a different nature inside of you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world or he that's in your flesh. Let's go to the word of God today and find out about the power, the overcoming power of the Holy Spirit in our life. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. So glad to have you here. We've been going through Romans chapter 8, verse by verse. And I'm sure by now many of you are going, wow, I've never heard things like this. It's in the Word of God. And rightly dividing the Word of Truth is so important. And, uh, you know, in the, in the last one that I taught on, I was teaching on the fact about there's a thing called the sin unto death and Christians commit that. The unpardonable sin is committed by sinners. That's rejection of Jesus. There's only one unpardonable sin. One thing that will keep you out of heaven, the one that can never be forgiven, if that's if you reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. All other sins are forgivable because why? We commit them as believers. And so God can forgive them. He can't forgive the world their sins until they accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. But once you have, then you're responsible that if you sin to take it to the Lord. Why? Because you're a priest. 1 John 1, 9 cannot possibly be written to sinners. Why? Because it only can be fulfilled by a priest. And a sinner is not a priest yet. Once they accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, they as a priest can come before their great high priest. And you are under obligation at that time that if you sin, you take it directly to your high priest, Jesus Christ. He said, but my sins were all forgiven by the work of Jesus on the cross. Yes, for getting into heaven, but not for enjoyment of life, not for production in life, because here sin will stop you from producing. But I don't have to go back and get saved again. I actually take a sin that even though it was judged at the cross and got me into heaven because it was judged at the cross, this is keeping me from producing in life. I, as a believer, need to confess I am not a sinner getting saved. I am a believer getting back in fellowship with God. You know it in your own family. Your kids mess up. You know what? Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, it tells us in Proverbs. So we have to come back to this. You are my child, but you're not acting much like my child should act. There's standards around here, things I presented to you, and you're not living up to that. Are they still your kid? Yes. Even if they went out and shot somebody, are they still your kid? Yes. And I'm saying that throughout the word of God, we have believers that did as bad a sins as unbelievers, but the difference is they're doing it because they, again, are not living by the power of the word of God or the power of God. As believers in the new covenant, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have the availability of the word of God, but still throughout the New Testament, as in the old, we have carnal Christians. A whole chapter dedicated to carnality in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, because it's a book written to the most carnal church in the New Testament, the Corinthian congregation. Look with me here at Romans chapter eight and verse 13 while you're finding that. I simply want to say thank you to those watching who have been watching me for so long and understand the teaching and want to get deeper into things of God. I simply thank you for doing so and becoming a partner with me. If you're not a partner with this ministry and you watch me you know, every day, why don't you become a partner with me? If this is blessing you, it will bless others. And I want this to be a blessing to others, but I can't do this if they're not watching the broadcast. And you can help sponsor it by putting it into this ministry and we can expand and we're doing that all the time. 
So again, if you'd like to become a partner with me, please do so. And I'll be glad to again uh, welcome you to this great group of people that help support this ministry. Those who help lift up my two hands, just my two arms, just like uh, they did with uh, Moses so he could win the battles. Aaron and Hur stood on each side of him. You become my Aaron's, you become my Hur that help lift up the arms, the feeble hands that can hang down at times and help lift them up so that we can win this battle together. Because even though God gave me this ministry and gave me this anointing and gave me this gift to teach it, I need your help. God gave me those intangible things, I need for you to give you those tangible things such as finances. And then lift me up in prayer and all the other things, but finances are what helps. And we can take those finances from the world system and use them to help win souls for the kingdom of God. If you'd like to become a partner with me, go to bobyandian.com. You'll find a place there where you can become a partner. Thank you for simply being obedient to God and for loving this ministry that much. First, it says here again in, in chapter eight of uh, Romans, verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. We ended with this last time. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You have two choices to make, to live by the flesh or to consider the flesh dead and alive to this. You are either uh, consider yourself living by the flesh or living by the Holy Spirit. But if you're living by the flesh, you're living by something that's dead and dead doomed. It's headed toward death. Right now, I consider it dead because it, it cannot go on past my life life, it will be taken and the flesh will die at that point, or it'll die when the rapture comes and I have a resurrection body. But the part of me that is eternally alive is my spirit where the Holy Spirit lives. Verse 13, again, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. We even took up the fact that you can physically die on this earth by remaining out of fellowship way too long. David almost did. Saul did in the Old Testament. We find Samson did and died by living constantly by the flesh, even though he was called by God, anointed by God. He'll be in heaven one day. He's even listed in the heroes of faith in chapter 11 of Hebrews. But in the New Testament, we have the man caught in incest, but he repented in time and got to live a while longer. Ananias and Sapphira were believers and they died because they lied to the Holy Spirit and lied to the church that day and fell dead in church. But they'll be in heaven. They'll be in heaven called stupid. You know, God will probably call them stupid. Jesus calls them stupid. Why did you do such a thing? But they can stand with a lot of other stupid Christians or stupid believers that live for a number of years throughout the Old and New Testament. But again, they were believers, but they were carnal Christians, just like your children are your children, but some of them don't act right and you want them to get in line and simply say again, but they're still your children. You love them because you're their children, but you lose respect for them. I want God to respect me. I want God to look at me daily and be pleased with me. And just as you looked at Jesus and said twice, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, I wanna be the same thing. Not only be his son, but for him to be pleased with me. And that comes by again, living by the word of God and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have two choices to make. First, to not live by the power of the flesh, and secondly, to live by the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ inside of me. We live long enough under the control of the flesh, it can bring about physical death, called the sin unto death. We talked about that. That's found in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 16. And thirdly, is to live by putting down the power and temptations of the flesh, the nature of the flesh, which has sin in it, and see them now as dead. 
We see ourselves alive unto God and living through the power of our recreated spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit and see ourselves as dead to this body and the deeds and the temptations our body can bring to us because this body is death doomed and my spirit has eternal life. Whatever my spirit produces is eternal. Whatever my flesh produces is death doomed. It can only last for a while. The flesh cannot destroy the deeds of the spirit, but the spirit can destroy the deeds of the flesh. Our spirit, which is alive, has much more power than the nature of the flesh living inside of our body. Take a look at verse 14. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. This is your outward proof you're the son of God. Now, if you're not led by the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean inside of you, you're not a child of God, but this is talking about a display in front of the world. The world needs to see that I am a child of God, not just hear me say it. So that when I'm not talking, I'm just living my daily life and they're staring at me, they begin to say, he really is a Christian. Look, he makes the right choices all the time. You see, the world can make a right choice, but eventually they have no power to sustain that. And eventually they fall back again under sin. But we as a Christian, we might sin, but the point of it is if you catch yourself in time, simply confess it and keep on going. Remain under the control of the Holy Spirit. This type of life is an outward sign of discipleship. Discipleship isn't so much toward God, it's toward the world. Discipleship is my maturity, that's why God left me here. If all God intended for me to do was to be born again, and that's the last thing he ever wanted for me, he'd zip me up to heaven real quick. But he left me here to affect lives around me. Not only can I win people around me by talking about Jesus, but I can win souls around me by living for Jesus. So all of my witnessing is not just talking about Jesus and giving them the gospel and the plan of salvation. It's by living in front of them to show that Jesus Christ not only can save you from sin, but he can save you from sinning. I can live in a Christian life because the Holy Spirit that controlled me can actually keep me from sinning. If I'll just listen, he'll direct me the right way all the time. The entire process that's presented here in this chapter will be now presented in chapter 12. Again, chapter eight, there's a gap between it and chapter 12. Chapter 12 picks up where chapter eight left off. Chapters nine, 10, and 11 is Paul reflecting on his Jewish background and his love for the Jewish people and takes three chapters to talk about their future, where they stand now. But in chapter 12, the renewing of the mind, it comes back to this again, that the mind is the swing vote and the whole process of the Christian life after we're born again is the renewing of the mind. To have the mind of Christ and no longer have the mind of Bob, for however many years it was before I got born again, I had the mind of Bob. Now getting born again after that is the process of changing the mind of Bob into the mind of Christ. To where no longer am I reasoning things out in my natural, I am now looking at things by the power of the word of God and the word of God controls my every thought. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Look at verse 15 says, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. When you got born again, the spirit of bondage was gone and God does not want you living in fear. But you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit of adoption here, been, it's been talked about so long and even taught this. Well, you're really not a child of God. He just simply took you out, out of uh, Satan's family when you accepted Jesus and adopted you as a child. Now that's looking at it through 20th and 21st century eyes. It doesn't look that way to God. The word adoption in the Old Testament was something that happened to a child. 
The child was born into the family and at a certain point where it was considered they had reached adulthood. That was usually 13 when the boy got circumcised in the Jewish family, age 12 in the Roman society where they actually had a ceremony. And that that ceremony, they took off a childish robe that he had worn all this time studying under tutors and then put on him a robe of manhood. And you adopted your own child. Adoption in the old world in Rome and also in the Jewish religion saw this. Adoption was where you no longer saw your child as a child. You now begin to see him as an adult. And God's simply saying here, when we got born again, God's crying out for you to grow up. He wants you to come to a point where you actually consider your father as everything. You cry out to him, daddy. You cry out to him, father. Under the new covenant with the Holy Spirit living in us, we no longer see God as only God, but we also see him as our father. We see ourselves as natural children in a family, but we also realize there's time to grow up and accept adult responsibility. This can only happen by understanding the word of God. Again, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. It's his word in us and us acting on it that causes us to grow up and become children of God and act like children of God. We take the word Christian. You know how we take the word Christian? We take the word Christian as just simply mean you're born again. Now that's all right. We accept that today, but that is certainly not the scriptural definition of it. In the book of Acts, it didn't say believers were called Christians. It said the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Christian is the title for an adult believer. It is a title for a person who has reached adulthood in the Christian life, or as we say here again, he has gone into maturity, spiritual maturity, discipleship. When a person becomes a disciple, that's when the world can see it. And the name they gave them was little Jesus. As you know what, you can tell the world you're a Christian, but there's something else about actually living as a Christian. We'll see you right after the break. Romans New Testament Commentary is a verse-by-verse teaching of the Book of Romans from the personal study notes of Pastor Bob Yandian. In his letter to the Romans, Paul clarified the principle of justification and whether it is by deeds of the law or by the work of God. Paul reveals that the law has never been a means of salvation and that faith has always been the means of spirituality regardless of the dispensation. This epistle also helps us to understand how we may gain victory over the flesh. If we as believers walk according to our new nature, the inward man, we are controlled by the Holy Spirit and not the sin nature. To order Romans New Testament Commentary, visit our website at bobbyendian.com. Theology Simplified is a practical guide to foundational biblical truth. Basic doctrines are not difficult, but easy to understand. They often become disguised as complicated or deep-sounding words, but the definitions are simple. Pastor Bob makes complex theological concepts clear and practical. Eight crucial doctrines of the Christian faith are demystified. Redemption, justification, sanctification, reconciliation, predestination, election, propitiation, and glorification. These eight precepts, essential for all believers to understand, come to light as you read and arrive at a deeper understanding of the finished work of Jesus Christ. To order Theology Simplified, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, 
healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. Just before the break, I was talking about verse 15 that talks about we cry out, Abba, Father. And Abba, Father is an indicator outwardly, not of the fact that we're just a child of God, not the fact that we're just born into the family, but it's also a declaration that we consider him our father and want to follow after him. And so again, what we are teaching about here about Abba, Father, the spirit of bondage, and we have been adopted into God's family. There comes a point where God sees us as an adult. We're no longer does he see us just as children, but now we begin to act like him, seek to act like him. And we look at him as our leader, as our father. We look at ourselves as part of the family, but we don't just compare ourselves to others. We really compare ourselves to God himself. This is where, again, in the new covenant, that what God wants us to do is not only be born again, but begin to walk in God's word. Jesus Christ is the object of faith for a sinner, but God's word is the object of faith for a believer. We believed in Jesus, that's fine. That's how we got saved. But you know what? Afterwards, God begins to teach us through the word of God and his whole goal for us is we would come to a place where we don't sin. Because what God wants the world to see in us is simply this. If they've been born again, they act like it. Oh my goodness, look at Bob. He has changed. And one of my greatest testimonies I hear from students is the fact that they go back to their hometown where they came from. They were known as hell raisers. They were not in the, in the when they go back to town, they go back because God led them there. They really didn't want to go back there because their reputation was so bad in high school or just getting out and going to college as drunks and, you know, just hell raisers. And they got born again, came to Bible college and went back to their hometown because God called them there. And I think that's wonderful. Because you know what? You're not just preaching the word to them. You're showing it to them. When you come back to town, they may laugh and say, you're back in town and you're a what? Oh, you're a preacher. Oh, this we want to see. That's exactly what God's wanting. He wants them to see that you changed. Not only again does God save you from sin, he saves you from sinning. And now their whole lifestyle changes. And that lifestyle is as much a witness to them as the words you speak out of your mouth. Verse 16 goes on to say here in Romans chapter eight, the spirit himself, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. There comes a point where actually we begin to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit even better, and this comes through maturity. We might hear him when we're first young in the Lord and all that, and that's fine, but as you begin to grow up in the things of God, you can clearer hear what God has to say. The way that the Spirit confirms our sonship is more than just a feeling or a sense. It's also by impressing the word into our soul. When you get to the point where you're facing a dilemma and the first thing you think of is a scripture, that's an indicator you're growing up. That's what God wants. But you can't literally be led by a scripture if it's not already in your heart. The Holy Spirit, like a computer, reaches in and grabs what you've been studying. Your word have I hid in my heart. Well, it's hidden. It might be hidden right now. I might not even be thinking about that verse, but the moment I'm facing adversity and a scripture comes up, I go, where did that come from? I wasn't even thinking on that verse. It's the Holy Spirit drawing from the res- from the reserves inside of you of the scripture and bringing it to your conscience where now it's time to act on it. I see the verse, but I'm not going to act on it. That is God leading me. The Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you into all truth. Jesus said, Father, your word is truth. So in verse 14, we are said to be mature sons when we're led by the Holy Spirit. In verse 16, the Holy Spirit lets us know through the word we're now God's children. A mature believer sees himself at all times as a child of God. 
and realizes something. As a child of God, I need to be led by my heavenly father. He's the leader of the family. So when we doubt the reality of our salvation, but think immediately of a verse of scripture confirming that we're children of God, this is a sign of maturity. Again, when you face your spiritual battles and God gives you ideas from the scriptures and the word of God. Verse 17 goes on to say, if we're children, then we're also heirs. Heirs of God and join heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we will be glorified together. This verse is saying, part of what I have with Jesus Christ is I'm an heir with him. That cannot change. That occurred through the new birth. But also there are rewards when we get to heaven. Not only is my heirship and things provided in my inheritance going to be given to me in heaven, but there's also things that are not part of my inheritance that I'm going to receive in heaven. And this will be me standing before the judgment seat of Christ and receiving rewards. So verse 17 ends with this, if indeed we suffer with him here, Go through the temptations of life, hang on to his word, do not yield to the flesh. He said, we'll be glorified together and glorification is a reference to our resurrection body, but also to the rewards we'll be receiving in heaven. So when I get to heaven again, understand this heirship down here, I'm an inheritance, I have an inheritance. Heirship is based on birth. Notice this, if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. I want to quickly reflect again back on Ephesians chapter one. We're not teaching Ephesians one here, but Ephesians chapter one is an incredible chapter. It tells us all the things that we have as Christians. Oh, I'm a child of God. I'm an heir. You know, I'm a joint heir. It goes on to talk about rewards in heaven, all these different things. But everything that I have is because I am in Christ. Why am I an heir? because I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the heir of all things. I am in him, so I share all of his inheritance. I don't have eternal life on my own. No, I'm in Christ and I share his eternal life. I don't have rewards on my own. I'm in Christ, I share his rewards. Everything I have, I owe to my relationship with Jesus Christ. The moment I joined him, everything that belongs to him belongs to me. He created all things and therefore I also am an heir of all things. So spiritually, naturally, again, rewards in heaven, robes, a position in heaven, all these things. And this verse is simply saying, if I suffer with him in this life, this is where those rewards begin to come. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. How can I say I'm an overcomer? Because I'm inside the overcomer. I share his overcoming life. I don't have anything on my own. Without him, I can do nothing. But this verse goes on to say that also as I have suffered with him in this lifetime, just like I was born again because I'm inside the one who was first born, now also if I suffer with him, I can do it because why? I'm in the one who suffered and came out successfully on the other side. And when he got to heaven, he was glorified and set down at the right hand of the Father. One day in my resurrection body, I will be in heaven too. And not only will I be there in Christ, I'll be there to sit next to God himself and Jesus Christ himself. I will be glorified together with him. I share not only time, but eternity because I'm inside of Jesus Christ. Again, heirship is based on birth, not works. No one is an heir without being born an heir in this natural life as well as spiritual. We're also not heirs based on ourself, but because of who we are in.
We are heirs because we share the heirship of Jesus Christ, and that's why it's called joint heirs. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, joined with him. We are heirs with God through joint heirship with the Son, and therefore all the things that Jesus Christ has as God, I share with him also. Some of the things I have, I have right now, but other things I won't even have till I get to heaven. Verses 18 through 27 that we're now coming into teaches us about the sufferings in life. Suffering is part of our life, even as believers, and part of the existence of nature. Even nature goes through suffering in this earth, but we are not only attached to God, we're attached to nature too. And just as nature is looking forward to the time of the coming of Jesus Christ to set the whole earth free, we are looking forward to the coming of Christ to set us free, and that will be at the rapture of the church. There's two more comings of Jesus Christ. One has already occurred. The first time Jesus came, he came in his human body, born of a virgin, lived for 33 years, did not commit a sin, showed God's nature, his kindness, his love, and salvation to the world around him. And then Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for us, the innocent dying for the guilty. The one who had no sin was dying for the ones who were sinners. And Jesus Christ went to the cross in perfection, but then in perfection, he did not sin on the cross to become a sinner. He literally just reached out and accepted sin for us. That's why after three days and three nights, he could be raised from the dead because he took care of sin for everybody, but he couldn't stay there himself. He had no sin of himself and had to be allowed to go free. And after three days, God raised him from the dead. At that point, I can now consider my sins to be reckoned with Jesus Christ as dead the moment I received Jesus as my savior. When I received Jesus as my savior, his life counts in my life, his death counts in my life, his resurrection counts in my life, and now seating at the right hand of the Father counts in my life. Why? I am in him. Verse 18 now says, for I consider, this is in the New King James, the King James calls it reckon. I'm gonna talk about that word, I like it. I'm from the South, so we reckon. Verse 18, for I consider or I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. The word reckon in in Greek as well as in English, we use it today, again, I reckon so, but reckon means to consider or to estimate something. I reckon that's true. I look at it, I look at all the facts and I assume because those facts that that's true. I may not know for sure that that thing is true, but by all the evidence around it, I reckon so. This is what this is saying, I consider that the sufferings of this present time aren't worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us because I see it through the word. I haven't seen heaven. People say, you actually think you're going to heaven? Yes, I know I'm going to heaven. Why? Because the Bible says so. And they'll tell you, but you've never seen heaven. You've never been there. And you're saying it's true. Yes, Jesus has been there and come back and told me that it's there. He's there now waiting for me. I know that all those who are in Christ, my relatives, my friends, others that I've known that, are, that I, we put in the ground that were Christians, I know they're in heaven right now because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. They say, how can you say, I haven't seen it with my eyes, but I reckon it's so. I consider it so. Why? And I also know this, that the sufferings of this present time aren't worthy 
to be compared with the glory that's gonna be revealed one day when I get to heaven. Nothing in life and no problems in life can stop anything God has planned for me. And what's in heaven is thousands of times better than what I'm going through on earth. I can be living in a wonderful Christian life, enjoying myself but realize something, this is only a drop in the bucket to the joy I will have in eternity and it will last forever. My joy in this lifetime, my happiness of lifetime might be subject to changes here and there because of the temptations and trials that come against me. I may not be happy for what I'm going through, but I'm going to a place that will be eternal happiness every single day. I can regain my joy, regain my happiness down here, but sometimes I'm going through terrible problems that seem to buffet me and seem to drive me down. And there's times I wonder, is this thing ever going to stop? And the answer is yes, it will stop in this life at the right time. But you know what? It's going to also never be even available when I get into heaven. So I consider, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. When I get to heaven, have a resurrection body and God has seated me there and I'm ruling and reigning with him throughout eternity, gone through the judgment seat of Christ and my my bad stuff I've done has been removed and I'm now being replaced it with great rewards in heaven. I'm gonna look back and say, sheesh, I thought earth was good. It isn't anything compared to where I am now living in the presence of God. Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? You too can eventually say the same phrase. I reckon the sufferings of this present time aren't even worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in me. See you next time. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. Visit bobyandian.com. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.